Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. I would like to begin this morning's session by posing that which I believe is a very simple question, uh, an interesting question. And although the question is simple, I'm not sure that the answer will be so simple for most of us. And that is how many tefillos are recorded in all of Tanakh? If I would look at all of Torah Nevi'im Ksuvim and try to capture all of the prayers that we find in Tanakh, how many would there be? Uh, so if you don't know the answer to the question, don't feel bad. Neither did I. I'm relying on others here. But apparently outside of Sefer Tehillim, there are 140 references to people's praying in Tanakh. So if we would look, again, from the beginning until the end of all of the Chamishuchum Torah, the Sifrei Nevi'im and Ksuvim, we would find 140 references to prayer, once again, outside of Sefer Tehillim, which is, by and large, a, 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 literally a prayer book. Uh, now, of these 140 prayers, 97 of them, we are actually told the words that were recited. So the Tanakh actually shares with us the tefillos, the words of the tefillos. Now, some of these are familiar to us. We know some of them. Um, and some are obviously going to be less familiar. But we have quite a large sample of prayers that we can look at and to reflect upon and to study and provide us, obviously, with a lot of content, but perhaps more importantly, a lot of perspective when trying to understand the definitional parameters of prayer and what it should be. Now, there are certain common features that we find when we look at all of these prayers. Obviously, they're going to be different and they're going to be spanning many, many centuries but there are certain common features, and I think it's important to highlight them. The first one is they do not take place at any specific time. For the past couple of months, we've been reflecting upon the fact that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov established Tilas Shachos, Mincha, Obviously, those take place at different times throughout the day. But beyond that, it would seem as if those who pray in Tanakh are not praying at a specific time in the day or time in the week because it is time to daven, but rather they just break out in prayer, whatever the case may be. Similarly, we find that there's no set place. There are people who daven at home, and there are people who daven in the field. There are people who daven at the Mishkan, and then there are people who seem to be davening just anywhere. And there doesn't seem to be a specific reason as to why they're davening in that place. Additionally, there's no established liturgy. Now, we know, of course, that Siddur is introduced later in history, and so there was no formal prayer book that people could open up in the days of the Tanakh, but still you would have expected that there would be a certain construct, that there would be certain rules, if you will. There's a certain um, format. There are certain types of words that would be most appropriate to begin to end a prayer, but we don't find that. There seems to be an unlimited number of possibilities. It's almost as if prayer in the days of the Tanakh was, was completely customizable. It could be whatever you would want it to be. We find that prayers in Tanakh, by and large, are reactive, People are responding either to an asara, to a very uh, difficult, challenging situation. People find themselves in, in times of suffering and pray to God for relief, for help, for assistance. Or perhaps it's a time of, of tremendous joy and happiness and people are expressing their praise and thanksgiving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, prayers are, by and large, spontaneous. Uh, people are not being prompted, as far as we can tell in Tanakh, oh, it's time to daven. Uh, please be back in a few minutes, I have to daven now. We don't really find that. We find that people are praying because circumstances uh, either uh, demand that of them or they just feel. They just feel the need to do so 
and therefore turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in order to develop and to strengthen that connection through prayer. So that is sort of what tefillah looks like in the days of Tanakh. What emerges is something which it would seem on the surface to be truly paradoxical about prayer in general, and it's going to challenge us to understand the nature of prayer the way it is today. Now, this morning, I'm going to just try to set the stage for this conversation, but it's certainly going to take us uh, several Sundays, at least, in order to properly work this through. We've already mentioned, uh, uh, probably a couple times, that tefillah is called avoda. In fact, the entire concept of tefillah, the mitzvah of tefillah, Chazal tell us, is traced back to a pasuk that we say in the Kriya Shema, that we are to love Hashem, la'avaz Hashem alokechem, u'liyavdo b'chalavavchem, and to serve Him with our hearts. And the Gemara in Tanis Dabbeis says, Ezoe avoda shehibolev, what is an avoda service of the heart? So really, tefillah is avoda. It is worship. But what's really interesting about that is everything that we just described in terms of the prayers that we find in Tanakh don't really seem to fit the definition of avoda the way it is typically understood. In fact, avoda generally is a word that is associated with the karbanos, the sacrifices that were brought in the Beis Amikdash. And when we think for a moment about sacrificial services, well, they seem to be exactly the opposite of everything we just described. So, for example, uh, avoda in the Beis Amikdash is very clearly defined. This is a very highly regulated area of Jewish law. For the most part, Sefer Vayikra, the entire book of Vayikra, which is referred to by Chazal as Torah's Kohanim, the book of priests, but really talks about the laws of Karbanos. And there are so many laws. There are so many details. There are so many specifics. And there's a very prescribed order. Which carbon should be brought by who, by what, at what time, in what way. And there's actually very, very little room for any flexibility. There's no room for anybody being spontaneous. In fact, there's one famous story, a tragic story that is recorded in the Torah, Nadavan Avihu, who tried to be spontaneous within the context of Navoda, and it didn't end well. It actually ended very, very tragically, and it would seem, at least on the surface, it's hard to know exactly what happened over there, but the Torah identifies their sin is that they brought an Eish Zara Lifnei Hashem. They were basically trying to serve Hashem, but they were doing it on their terms. In other words, they were being spontaneous. They were just trying to do what seemed right to them in the moment, and they were quite literally, it would seem, struck down by lightning. So that, that, that didn't go well. So we have over here avoda, which is prescribed by the Torah, which has to be very, very specific. And there is no room for error. And if anything is, is sort of messed up, um, if there are mistakes that are made along the way, very often it would just disqualify the carbon. With very rare exceptions, we don't find that there are texts that are associated with sacrificial service. Now, it's true, there may be some exceptions, the concept of vidui that's sometimes recited along with the carbon. But this is very strange, because we have over here what appears to be two diametrically opposed concepts. On the one hand, what we call prayer, tefillah, and the other concept of, of avoda, and they, they seem to be quite different feel of the way we just described it, again, of the 140 instances that we find in Tanakh, they all are, for the most part, seem to express themselves in a very, very flexible sort of way. No fixed time, no set place, no established liturgy, reactive, spontaneous, customizable. And then we are referring to prayer as being avoda, avoda she and it's very different than everything that we know about avoda, which again is very clearly defined highly regulated, a prescribed order, no room for being spontaneous, no prayers that are associated with with these sacrifices. How do we make sense of all this? 
So we have over here is what, what appears to be, uh, what again, what I, I'll call sort of the great paradox of Jewish prayer. Now, before we attempt to explain this, which, like I said, I think we're really going to start to do next week, I think we should take a moment to ask ourselves, what does prayer look like today? Uh, is the prayer experience that we are familiar with, does it look more like the tefillah that we find in Tanakh? Is it an experience that has no fixed time, no set place? It is, it, is it spontaneous and customizable? Or is it rigid? Is it scripted? Is it clearly defined, highly regulated, like the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash? And while I think that some of us may answer that question differently, I think the proper answer, I think the accurate answer is, it's a little bit of both. Uh, there's no question about it, and this is obviously what we spend a lot of time doing here, uh, there, there is a structure to prayer. Uh, there is the what we do and why we do it and how we do it and what we say and when we say it. There certainly is a lot of structure. Uh, there is a format. Uh, there are zmanim of tefillah. There are places to daven. All of this is true. At the same time, and maybe we haven't had enough time to really reflect on this properly and sufficiently, uh, there certainly is uh, a lot of license that we have. Uh, and the halacha not only accommodates but actually encourages us uh, to try to make tefillah a meaningful experience. And while it is not necessarily spontaneous in the sense that a person would just stop what they're doing and decide at, at any given point in time, you know what, I'm going to compose a personal, uh, creative, innovative prayer right now, uh, being able to infuse and inject one's own personal thoughts and words into davening at, certainly, at certain points in davening, this is very, very much part of what davening is intended to be. And so therefore, we're just sort of considering this paradox of sorts. We have two different paradigms of tefillah. We have tefillah, which is again, uh, the type of prayer which is uh, sort of introduced to us in Tanakh, uh, the hundreds or so of prayers, which seem to be creative, spontaneous, personal, unscripted. Uh, And then we compare that and contrast it with an avoda in the Beis Hamikdash, which to a certain extent also serves as sort of the, the, the basis, the foundation of the entire concept of tefillah. Um, and in an attempt to sort of reconcile the two and make sense of these two diametrically opposed models, uh, we consider what we have today, which seems to be seems to be some combination of the tefillah and the avoda. And I'm, I'm, I think this is actually a good place to, to pause in this conversation, uh, not only because we're almost out of time, uh, but because I really, really want to give everybody here an opportunity to just think about this a little bit, that we can consider prayer from two completely different vantage points, consider that what we have today is sort of a product of the both, and then, hopefully, next Sunday, when we continue this conversation, we'll be able to try to figure out why. How do we get to this point? At which point in history and why exactly did davening emerge? Did it evolve in the way that we have it today, sort of a combination of tefillah and avoda. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day.